Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. And then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them. Verse 31, it says, And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. So there's a few things going on in this passage. There's a few things that we see happening um, obviously, they heard the story, you know, Jesus had, had resurrected from the tomb. The ladies went and told it. They came back to tell the story. And I'm not going to get into what it means about how much they trusted the ladies or not, but two more people went to go check it out and see, and then they verified the story. And now we see these guys walking down the road, and, and they're sad. Um, Jesus addresses that. He says, why, why are you having these communications, and, and why are you sad? And what, what he's trying to get at, obviously, without having revealed himself yet that he was Jesus, what he's trying to get at is, this is exactly what I promised you. These are the things that I told you would happen, that I would go, that I would become sacrifice, and then that, that three days later I would rise again. Why is everybody so shocked? Why is everyone so scared? What's the meaning of it? Why would you be sad when I fulfilled my word? Right? You, this is a promise that you're living in, that you're seeing come to pass. These are, these are prophecies that you're seeing revealed before your very eyes. What about this would make you sad? And they uh, begin to tell him all these things and say, oh, well, if you only knew who was here. And he's like, yeah, I, I know. It's, it's me. I'm the guy. Right? And then they, they, they told him, you know, where have you been? He said, well, I've been living it out. But he said, where have you been this whole time? And then he kind of reprimands them a little bit. He's, he he's calls them fools. He says, you're, you're fools. You're slow of heart to believe everything that the prophets have spoken. Isn't this exactly what Christ should have done? And he starts to tell them these things. And then he does something. Jesus does something that I'm, I'm not going to do. When he starts to talk to them, he goes all the way back to Moses and starts working his way to the beginning. I won't do that tonight, so, so don't worry. I'm not going to be quite that long, but... He's, he's telling them these things. He's like, all the mighty things that God has done, all of these things, the miracles, and, and, and this is exactly why it was laid out. This was, was prophesied, and this is exactly what needed to happen. So these men, they're talking to Jesus about Jesus, but not recognizing that it is Jesus. So the question that I want to ask us this morning is, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who you're talking to? Now, a lot of times... These days when we hear this statement, it's usually uh, about, you know, someone who thinks that they're more important than everyone else thinks they are, right? They get uh, scolded or pulled over or reprimanded. Do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? Do you have any idea? And then how humbling or embarrassing it's got to be when you say, uh, no, no not, re- not really. I don't know who you are. But nonetheless, I'm going to ask the question this morning, do you know who you're talking to. So, so these men go on and they start to tell him of all the things that he has done. And, he's, and, and then they go to tell him the way that they expected it to happen. 
They said, well, surely we thought this is the guy that would redeem Israel. He'd come, you know, and the misnomers that, that were there that uh, Jesus would come this time as a triumphant king and a ruler and destroy Rome and, and the, that Israel would be exalted at this moment. And that's what they felt in their flesh. But that's not what the spirit willed. That's not what God needed to happen. That's not the reason that Jesus came to walk this earth in flesh. He came so that he could become a sacrifice for sin. He came so that he could be a spotless lamb, so that he could set in motion a plan of salvation that would be active and alive until his second coming, until a return, until the rapture, until the calling home of the church. And that's an opportunity that we're able to take advantage of today because of the plan that Jesus Christ put in place. So, so they begin to tell him, we thought that this was the one that would, that would save Israel. We thought that this was the one that would, would conquer and, and do all these things. But that's not exactly what happened. Now I want to quickly call our attention to the fact that, that these guys were headed to Emmaus, which the Bible says was about three score furlongs. Translation to today's words that we uh, might understand a little bit easier. First, does anybody know what a furlong is? Okay, fantastic. Me either, so now I don't feel too dumb. Uh, so I had to look it up. So three score furlongs, that's about seven and a half miles. So they're doing about a seven and a half mile trip. Um, and they've got all this time to walk and talk and talk with Jesus. Now, I don't know if we've got any uh, avid distance runners out in the crowd that are doing their miles in about six minutes or less. No hands. Eh, okay, I got one half a hand. All right, so, uh, so they're, they're runners. Um, now, if I'm walking, and I don't really necessarily, like, I'm not in a hurry, I don't know how slow I'm walking, but I'm guessing I'm moving about maybe three, four miles an hour. I, I don't know. Not, not real quick. It's probably taking me, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes to just stroll a mile. So you got seven and a half of those, and quick math is not as easy as I was expecting it to be in my head. I didn't write it down. It'd be a while. A couple hours, right? A couple hours. So you got a couple hours to just talk. I, I could do it. I just, you know, whatever. At this point, it'd be embarrassing. So we'll just say we had a while to talk. All right? We had a while to talk. But anyways, they've, they've got all this time, and, and they start to say the things that they, that they want to say. But then Jesus starts to talk to them. So they've got this opportunity before them, and they're walking on this way. They've got somewhere to be. They've got somewhere to go. But my guess is, just kind of based on the conversations that they're having, that this wasn't a very uh, quick, just, you know, rapid fire, we're there, we're sprinting, we're done. Because then they said, by the time they got there, they said that the day was well spent. So they took their time getting there. And they had all this opportunity to listen to the things of God. God speaking into their lives. It's kind of like today when we've had many, many opportunities that God has tried to speak to us. How many church services have we been in? How many times have we met together? How many times have we opened the word of God? How many times have we uh, flipped a radio station? How many times have we encountered somebody and just uh, been exposed to the things of God or, or heard from the things of God or, or God's been trying to talk to us or speak to us or encourage us in these things? And that's what they spent their whole day doing. They get there and they said that the day was well spent. So, so we're on into like the evening time, the evening hours. It's, it's supper time basically. And he says, asked him to stay with them. It says he constrained him to stay with them. And so he did, and, and then he asked them for meat. They began to break bread, and at that moment, he reveals who he really is, and then it says that he vanished out of their sight. So they've got this opportunity, this moment, 
that they're seeking. And then the next verse in Luke 24, 32, it says, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Wasn't there something inside of me that said that there should be, I should have known, I should have understood, I should have, I should have grabbed a hold a little tighter, I should have paid a little more attention, I should have been a little more focused, I should have given him more uh, of my time. And then I gotta wonder if there was that moment of regret I never should have said the part about what he should have done. I never should have done that, right? Maybe that's just me that thinks that, like, after the fact, like, oh, I, I probably shouldn't have said <laughs> There's been more than once in my life that I had to look back and say, yeah, well, I, I probably shouldn't have said that, but, uh, well, stop laughing. <laughs> uh, but I, I can't imagine like the moment of that feeling and, and what they're going through. They're saying, how did we not know? Something should have been burning inside to know who it is we're talking to and talking about. And we should have that same stirring within us when we're experienced, when we're encountering, when we're in moments like we just had in this place, and when we're in, in opportunities that we're hearing the word of the Lord discussed or talked about or we're reading it or we're in the presence of God, we should be wanting and desiring everything that God has for us in those moments. We should be desiring to know more. We should be desiring to, to tap in, to be in touch with, to understand and to feel exactly what Jesus Christ is telling us. We don't want to get to a moment in our life when we look back, we leave, the, uh, we leave a place and we say, man, the presence of God was there. I, I should have taken this to the Lord. I should have tried to go another step. I should have tried to figure out something more. Man, that word was really good. I should have listened to it. I should have tried to tap in. I should have gotten more than I got. Now, thankfully, we serve a gracious God and we've gotten many, many, many chances, but we never know when the last chance or the last opportunity will be. We never know when that last moment will be. So we want to make sure that, that we know exactly where we're at and who we're talking to. Now, these men had a knowledge about what had happened, and they had heard the stories and, and could share some examples. But because they didn't yet have a fullness of their experience, they weren't able to completely identify whose presence they were in. So what do you mean a fullness of experience? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, Paul told the Athenians in Mars Hill something similar. This was in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. It says, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom you, therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. So he tells them, I saw, I saw all these things. I saw all these uh, inscriptions, these idols, these uh, places of worship, these things that you've constructed, and these things that, that you've tried to call attention to, and, and uh, things that you've tried to worship yet in vain. And then I saw one there. I saw one that says, to the unknown God, which means that Despite all their uh, idols, despite all of their things of worship, despite all of their images that they had placed up to lift up in their lives or, or seeking out to try and find some semblance of reason for a, a higher power, a higher calling, a, another, another dimension, something that, that they couldn't wrap their heads all the way around, something they couldn't explain. There's something out there that I know. There's something calling me. There's something deeper. There's something bigger. There's something more that I have yet to experience, but I just don't know what it is yet. And Paul says, this is the one that I want to talk to you about. 
the unknown God, that one that you, you've got a place for, but you don't know how to worship, you don't know why to worship, you don't know who to worship, you've just said the unknown God. And him, he's the one that I want to declare to you, that I want to preach to you about. And that's about the same place where these guys were. They were in the presence of the almighty God without knowing that they were in that presence. And they look back at that moment with regret, with a little bit of sorrow, and said something should have been burning inside of us. It's very possible today in 2022 that, that we're here in this place and we're feeling much the same way. Sure, you might have talked about God. Sure, we've heard about God. And we can share some stories about Jesus. And, and we can profess God and we say we worship God. But do we really know him? When we pray, do we know who we're talking to? When we speak to the Lord... Do we know who we're talking to, or are we just doing something that, that we feel like we should do? Are we doing something that we've maybe been instructed to do or taught to do from a kid, but, but we don't really understand, or we don't grasp the power or the capabilities? We don't understand exactly what we're doing because we don't understand whose presence we're in. There's just this unknown thing. There's this unknown person, or there's someone that we've heard these rumors about, or, or I saw, yeah, he did something in, in my buddy's life, or, or he changed a, a family member, or he did something for, for that person, or, well, these people have been going to that church for a while, so maybe I should check it out. There might be something there that I need to experience. There might be something there that I need to feel, but I don't yet know exactly what it is. And that's exactly where I want to meet us today. It's him, the unknown God, the unknown one that I want to proclaim, that I want to preach to you today, that I want to speak. Do you know who we're talking to when we come in this place and we lift up our hands to worship, when we praise, when we say, wrap me in your arms, when we say, open up the heavens, I want to see you. Do you know who we're saying that to? We're speaking to Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. The one who spoke the world into existence. The one who said that I will be there. I will be a comfort. I will be a strength to you. The one who says, put your burdens upon me. Take my yoke on you for my burden is easy. That's the one that we're talking to. And we've got an opportunity today to use the name of Jesus and to speak that name when nothing else makes sense. When we don't know where else to turn and we don't know what else to do and we don't know who else to call to. We don't know what other doors to try and open. We speak the name of Jesus because we understand and we know that there's power in that name. Praise God. They had a promise. These men, they had a promise, but they hadn't yet received it. See, Jesus told the disciples that there was more to come in John chapter 14. John 14, I'm going to read, starting at verse 16. It says, I will pray the Father, this is Jesus talking, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter, that you may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Now, holding it right there, Jesus is speaking to the disciples at this moment, and he's telling them these things. He says, uh, you see him, for he dwells with you. Now, he's got to be careful about his verbiage and the way that he's speaking. He doesn't say I right here, not because it's not him or it's a different person in the Godhead, but because he's respecting their understanding and respecting the value that they place on a one God belief. They've been raised up Jewish, which means that they every single day recited and reminded themselves, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. He tells them these things, and he's revealing them to them without a fullness of revelation yet because he doesn't want to, to get them to a point that they start to misunderstand or they start to not be able to interpret or that they start to go too crazy off the deep end like, wah, yelling, this is God, and then they get shot, right? Or stoned, I guess, in those days. No guns yet. Took longer. Um, but... but they're telling him these things. And he says, I want you to know that I'm with you now, but there's more to come. We'll pick this up in verse 18. It says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So here we see him start to shift to the I. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you see me. Why? Because I live, you shall live also. At that day, you'll know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So he's telling us, I'm with you, but I will be living in you. And he that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he, it, uh, he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, Judas said, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest yourself to us and not unto the world? How are you going to show yourself to just us, but not everybody? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We'll live with that person. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. I'm right here with you, and I'm telling you these things. Verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Who's this speaking? Jesus. So the Holy Ghost will come in my name. So what is the name of the Holy Ghost? Jesus. Yes. So he says, the Holy Ghost will come in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. So what he's telling them is, I've taught you these things. I've been encouraging you. I've been teaching you. I've been uh, exhorting you. I've been showing you all of these different things to a point where, to the way that I read it and the way I interpret it, Without the gift of the Holy Ghost, without Jesus living inside of it, there's no way you could just remember all of this stuff unless the, the Spirit of God is with you to help you remember, to help quicken your mind, to help bring you to that, that, that remembrance, that understanding at every moment. What does he tell us later on in Scripture? He says, take no thought what you will say when you're called before the courts, before the magistrates. Take no thought what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will give you the words in that moment. Unless we've got that spirit, we can be caught unawares. We can be caught with our guard down. But he's telling them, I will be in you, and I will help you remember all of those things. Verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. So he knew that... that that is the disciples, his followers, they had a comfort in knowing that they were walking with the Messiah, that they were walking with Jesus, that they were walking with, with this, um, this image of God that, that they had a uh, privilege to be with, that, to follow and to understand. And he said, he's been telling them, he's been preparing them. They didn't fully understand what he meant when he said, I'll not be with you anymore. He's telling them, there's a time that I'm not going to be walking this earth side by side with you in the flesh. That's not going to happen. But what he told them is, I will never leave you without comfort. I won't leave you comfortless. He says, I'll send the Spirit. I'll send myself, my name, to live inside you. I'm, right now I'm with you, but soon I will be in you. 
I'll be living in you. I'll be breathing in you. I'll be working in you so that then he can begin to work through us. And he's showing us these things. And one of the most powerful things that we have, one of the most powerful gifts that we have with that Holy Spirit inside of us is found in verse 27 when he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When we've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, we've got a powerful peace of God that passes all understanding. We've got a strength in knowing. We don't have to have just this inscription in our life. We don't have to have this, this hole in our heart or, or our mind or our brain to, to just an unknown God. But we've got a comfort. We've got a truth. We've got a, a reality, a rationale. We're able to put some reason, some logic behind it and say, this is Jesus Christ. This is the one who forgave my sins. This is the one who made it possible for me to have repentance and remission of sins. And now this is the one who's filled me with his spirit and allows me to walk in his power and allows me to call on the name of Jesus and to speak that name and to speak that truth and to speak that power. This is the one who's able to do absolutely anything. And it's by his name, by his name that I'm able to have peace in a hard time. Peace in a difficult time. Peace in a storm. Peace when everything else around me says that there should be no peace. When everything else around me screams that I, I should be rattled with anxiety, that I should be uh, ridden with depression, that I should be not able to find the light of day, that I shouldn't be able to find a reason to hope for tomorrow. I shouldn't be able to find a reason to keep on going or to keep on living. But he says, peace I give unto you. Peace. I give unto you. And then he adds on, not as the world gives, give I unto you. In other words, this isn't temporary. This isn't something that's just here for a fleeting moment. But this is something that you take with you everywhere that you go. Every moment that you're breathing. Every moment that you are awake, that you are asleep, that you've got breath in your lungs. Every moment that we're filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ. We've got a peace inside of us. And sometimes we forget that power. And sometimes we forget that, that Jesus said that I will be that peace, but we're able to call on the name of Jesus at any moment for any reason and be reminded that there's that peace inside of us. So he told him, he said, right now I'm with you, but soon I will be in you. And when Jesus Christ is living inside of us, we know when we're in his presence. You know when he's talking to you. You know when something inside is being stirred up because the living word, the living God, the one who is living in you begins to awaken an awareness within your spirit. Now, I'd like to, to take us back briefly to a moment. And if, you, if you've never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost or if you've recently been filled with his spirit or, or wherever you're at in your walk, there was a time... There was a time that we came into maybe a church service or, or a prayer meeting or wherever we were, and we felt something, but we didn't know what it was. We felt something. There's something going on there. There's something. I, I, don't, I don't know enough to tell you what it is, and if you ask me what I felt, I might not even be able to put real words to it. There was some chill bumps and, and you know, the hair on the, my neck stood up and it was a little freaky maybe. It was different. I didn't understand it. I didn't know exactly what was going on, but, but I know there was something. 
That's that inscription to an unknown God that Paul talked about on Mars Hill. There's something going on. And maybe you felt that in this place this morning. There's something happening in this place. I can't tell you exactly what it is. And I don't really know how to reckon these feelings. But I'm here to tell you right now that what you've felt and what you've experienced is the presence of Jesus Christ who is still very much alive, very much in operation, very much working and moving in hearts and lives today. He said that he would come as a comfort. He said that he would come and that he would fill us with his spirit. And that's what we've experienced today as spirit-filled believers. We are in the presence of God and we know that we're there and he's speaking to us and he's touching us and we're bringing our needs to him and we're making our things that we need known to him and he's working and he's moving and he's operating. And if we haven't yet been filled, we might be, I can tell there's something going on, but I don't yet know what it is. Praise God. Let's catch back up with our disciples now in Luke uh, as we begin to wind our way towards the close. I didn't say I'm closing yet, but we're winding our way there. We're making our way there. Luke chapter 24, verse 33, and this is one of those portions I'm going to read through. I'll stop a couple times, but it says this in verse 33. So we left off verse 32. They were wondered in their hearts, how could this be him? We didn't know it. Verse 33, it says, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. These were the guys that went to Emmaus and were talking to Jesus, and then he vanished. So they rose up the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were there, saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And he appeared unto Simon, and they told uh, the things that were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they yet spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Now, Jesus is awesome. Jesus is a great guy. And Jesus tells us some things that are just like mind-blowing awesome. But this one I'm, I'm a little confused about. Because they're just sitting there talking, and all of a sudden he appears in the middle of the room and says, Peace be unto you. No, peace is the last thing I would be experiencing if a ghost just came and landed in the place and I didn't have any idea what was happening, but he just appears unto them. Now, imagine if you're the guys that had just walked all the way to Emmaus, sat, and then Jesus reveals himself and then, whew, gone. And then they walk all the way back to Jerusalem and they're talking and telling about this thing and whew, there he is cheater. I had to walk all the way both times and you just transported yourself. But yeah, that would be a little bit disturbing. But yet he says, peace, just, just take it easy. It's okay. You ever driven with someone who says it's okay, but inside you're like, it's definitely not okay. <laughs> I've got this. I know what I'm doing. No, no, you don't. And, and you're squeezing the handle till your knuckles turn white. I can just see, like, I'm picturing a table. Maybe there wasn't a table there, but, but they're having this discussion around a table, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes in, and they're like, oh! There was probably a few white-knuckle moments, right? Squeezing the table. <laughs> What's going on? Right? But he says, peace. Peace be unto you. They supposed they'd seen a spirit. Verse 38 says, he said unto them, why are you troubled? Well, well because a ghost just came in there. That's why I'm troubled. Why are you troubled? Why do these thoughts arise in your heart? And then he begins to explain. He says, behold, my hands and my feet. It's me. It's myself. Uh, Handle me. Touch me. See. For a spirit has not flesh and bones, and you have seen me. So he's telling them right now, it's not a ghost. It's me. I'm here. I'm alive. You know, see the holes in my hands. Touch their pinch. I'm alive. 
And he says, when, the, when, we, when he had thus spoken, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before him. So he's showing them, yeah, you know, it's, it's me. I'm still flesh. I'm still blood. But the flesh side of Jesus, we remember that he was still flesh, right? He was still a man. He had all the fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus bodily, but he was still a man. Now, I don't think that they gave him a last, uh, a last meal, last wishes before he went to the cross. He ate at, at the Passover, and then he died, and then he was in the tomb for three days, and then he got a little bit of bread and Emmaus and left, and he hasn't eaten since then. So he's hungry. He says, do you have anything to eat? It's been a while. I'm hungry after three hours, much less three days. I got a few laughs, which means amen in my book. We'll, we'll call it amen. Uh, but he, he takes the food and he eats it yet again, showing them I'm flesh, I'm alive, I'm real, I still need food, I need to eat, I need to be able to be nourished, but also a spirit can't eat, right? So showing them again. In verse 44, he said unto them, these are words which I speak unto you while I was yet with you. I told you these things already, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Verse 46, he said unto them, this is, is written, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So Jesus tells them that there's more yet to come, and he tells them, go and wait. And so they go, and they wait. He's re reminding them of all the things that he said. So that passage we read earlier in John 14, these are, he's reminding them the things that I said. I'll send you a comforter. I'll come back. I'll be, I'll be there. I'll be with you, right? I died. I, I you know, was in the tomb for three days, and then now I'm showing myself to you again that I did indeed resurrect, that I am here. I am flesh and blood. You see the holes in my hands. You watched me eat, and I'm reminding you of all the things that I've told you, and I've opened your eyes to the scriptures. Now, I told you there's a promise, so go and wait for that promise, and they go, and they wait for the promise. Now, in your Bible, this is where the book of Luke ends, this is the, the last chapter, the last verse of Luke. This is where it ends. And what comes next after the book of Luke in your Bible is John. But then after John, we find the book of Acts. Now, uh, what we just need to really quickly understand and realize is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four uh, books of the New Testament, those are all, um, they're all in sync. They're all four different accounts of the same actions, the same time period. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all sharing their, uh, their experience, all sharing. So that's why you find a lot of the similar stories or the same stories and maybe uh, just a, a little bit different perspective or a couple of the details are different in this one from the other one. It's not that anything wrong was happening. It's just that one person looked at this event and said these things about it. The other person looked at the event and said these things about it. None of them are contradictory. It's just separate opinions, different personalities being brought to it. So we understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all 
taking place at the exact same time. So when we say, oh, well, Luke happened, and then we had to get all the way through John, and then the book of Acts happened, that's not how it works out. Chronologically, time-wise, right after Luke, we get to Acts. So right after this, this uh, example, this taking away, Jesus going up into heaven, they uh, rejoiced, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. This leads us directly into the book of Acts. It's also important to realize that while Acts is next, um, that Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So this is Luke's very next words to us is Acts chapter 1. He says, this is what happened, and now this is the next thing that happened. So we're, we're just getting a continuation of Luke's account of this whole time on earth. So the next time we hear from him, he's relaying the happenings of the beginning of the church as we know it today. So Acts chapter 2 begins to show us the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And we see for the first time that people have been filled with the Holy Spirit. People have been filled with Jesus Christ living inside them. This is the first time that Jesus has come and lived inside of his people. And we begin to see the promise being fulfilled when he said that he would send a comforter. When he said he, will, he was with you, but now he will be in you. When he said you now have this power in you. And we see people question the events, and, and we see Peter stand up and preach, and people ask the question, what must we do to be saved? And, and he answers them in verse thir- uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and then we see that the promise of the future salvation takes place. So what, what does this look like? Acts chapter 2 uh, begins, it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord with one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And when we've experienced that, we're able to say, right, yes, amen. When we haven't yet experienced that, we're like, sounds a little weird. Not so sure about that one. Maybe in, maybe in times of worship and maybe in times of prayer, uh, you heard somebody speak in a language that definitely wasn't English and you hadn't heard before. That's just further proof that Jesus Christ is still doing the same miracles today. The unknown God. That when we say the name of Jesus, that when we call out, God, help me. God, meet this need. God, Help me with this prayer. God, help me in this area. God, give me peace. God, give me strength. Jesus, I I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to turn. When we say these things, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who you're talking to? Because, yeah, we can say the name. Yeah, we can say, God, help me. Yeah, we can say, Father, help me. Yeah, we can say, Holy Spirit, I need strength right now. Yeah, we can say, Jesus, I I could use a little. And we might find ourselves in a place where we're like, yeah, I've heard other people say the name of Jesus, and and we're in church, so maybe that's just what I say is, is Jesus or God, but I haven't really experienced it myself. I don't know, like, am I allowed to say that? I'm not like, my name's not on a list anywhere. I'm not a member. I don't... Is this for me too? And the promise that we have of who Jesus really is 
is carried out very much alive and very much real. After the people saw the Holy Ghost poured out for the first time, they had questions too. How is it that we of every nation hear these people speaking and, and saying these things in our own tongue? They're lifting up and glorifying God. What's going on? Some of them said, are these guys drunk? It's, it's but the third hour of the day. What's going on? I don't understand this at all. And Peter stands up with the 11 and he begins to preach to them and tell them about who Jesus Christ was as he walked on this earth, but who he still is. And he begins to tell them that, that this is the guy that you crucified. This is the one. And now he's just revealing himself as a promise. We were promised this all the way back in the Old Testament. In the book of Joel, he said, the spirit will be poured out and your young, young men will see visions, your old men will see dreams. And he said all of these different things. And now it's happening. That's what this is. That's what's happening. And they said unto him, well, what do I do with this information? You've given me a lot of information, and maybe that's where you're sitting here today with the same question. All right, you've been talking for a little bit now, but what do I do with the information that you've been given? What should I do to be saved is the question they asked. What's my next step? If you're sitting there with that same idea, there's an unknown God. I'll tell you what the next steps are. I'll tell you how we make that Savior our personal Savior. I'll tell you how we get to a place where we don't have any hesitation or doubt about what we're feeling in this place, about what this atmosphere is that we're in. They said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter answered him in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 when he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But he didn't stop there. Verse 39, he said, for the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Say, oh, well, I don't know if he called me. I don't, I don't fit the mold. I don't fit the type. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. I don't know if I'm a, a really, I've never really been a church guy before. If that's where you're at today, if that's your question, all I'm going to say is take a look around. There's a lot of people that weren't church people before. There's a lot of people in this place that weren't God people before. There's a lot of people in this place who might have heard about a Holy Ghost or a Holy Spirit and went, eh, nope, I'm out. But because of Jesus Christ and his promises. Matter of fact, when Peter referenced Joel's promise, he said, I will pour out my spirit upon you, but also upon your handmaidens, your men servants, your women servants. He said, everybody, it doesn't matter class, it doesn't matter distinction, it doesn't matter race, it doesn't matter ethnicity, it doesn't matter age or demographic, it doesn't matter where you're at. He said that this promise that I'm sending, I'm sending to you and it's still very real and it's still very alive. And if you want to experience, if you've got a question about it, you can experience in this place today. So as we all stand, as we all stand, I want to let somebody know in this house today, you can speak the name of Jesus, but if you don't know the fullness of what that means, we're able to learn that. We're able to understand that today. He offered us by his life, by walking on this earth, by being flesh and blood and being made a perfect sacrifice, one who walked this earth but was without sin, tempted in all points like as are we, but yet without sin, a spotless lamb of God shed his blood so that we could have an opportunity some 2,000 years later to stand 
wherever we are in our seats and our altars to sit in a car to be in our house and that we could ask repentance and forgiveness of sins we could say God I've made some mistakes I've done some things that I know aren't probably right I might not be able to point to a scripture that tells me it's not right but there's something inside me that's that's convicting that's got me like mm, I've made some mistakes I've done some things I'm not proud of and so we're able to make a simple prayer a simple request and say God I'm I'm repenting, which means I'm turning away from this. I don't want to do this thing anymore. Will you forgive me of that? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're, we're in a moment. We're in an atmosphere. We're in a presence of a Savior that says there's power in the name of Jesus to forgive you of each and every sin you've made. But then he gives us a promise just another step further. He said, what should I do to be saved? He offers us baptism. We've got a tank right over here that's full of water. All that happens is we sit in the water, we proclaim the name of Jesus, and we submerge in the water. That's what baptism is. You're like, oh, that sounds like a really simple act. Well, what's it for? What's the point? What's the purpose? Because we can be forgiven of our sins, but when we're forgiven of our sins, we've still got evidence of our sins all over us. If Sister Jelani threw a ketchup, ketchup bottle at me and got all over my suit, I could wipe it off, but you'd still see it, right? I mean, I could water, soap, I could do it, but you'd still see it. There'd be a, a big stain. Now, I could forgive her, but would that take the stain away? No, it'd still be stained until I take it to the dry cleaners, right? Well, our spiritual dry cleaners is a watery grave of baptism because he says there's repentance but that's where there's remission or washing away of sins and why do we speak the name of Jesus when we do that because he's the one that's given us power to be able to have our sins washed away the Bible tells us neither is there salvation in any other name for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and there's a lot of people and there's a lot of ways and there's a lot of things that happen around the act of baptism But the biblical method of baptism is and always has been that we make a conscious decision. We make a conscious decision. And then we go into the water. We are submerged. The word baptized literally means to immerse or submerge. We're submerged in the water under the name of Jesus. Because if there's no name, there's no power. I feel something in this place today. I felt something during worship, but I don't know what it was. That's the presence of God. And if we've taken those steps, awesome. If we haven't, we can do those things today. We've got robes, we've got clothes, we've got towels, we've even got warm water. It's not even cold. We can do those things today. If we've taken those steps, but we still, like, God, there's got to be something more. I don't care where where you are at in your walk with God today. If you've ever said to yourself or to God or in a time of prayer or to someone else, there's, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. The promise is still very real. If you haven't ever been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you can't tell me with a certainty that Jesus Christ is actively living inside you, how do we know that? How do we know that that happened? 
the very first time that we see people filled with the Holy Ghost and every time that we see that it says that people were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The sign of ultimate surrender for us is when we yield our most unruly member, our most difficult member to tame. Remember before we said, ah, I wish I didn't say that. Sometimes that's funny, sometimes it's not funny. Sometimes it's offensive, sometimes it's derogatory, sometimes it's profane. Sometimes we say things that, ah, I probably shouldn't have said that. Our tongue, the most unruly, it's hard to control the tongue. That's how we know we've completely surrendered our heart. It's out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible tells us, the mouth speaks. So when what's fully inside of my heart begins to come out of my mouth, and when that's Jesus that's fully inside of my heart, it's not going to sound like what I'm used to or what's normal to me because it's not my flesh and blood anymore, but it's the Spirit speaking through me. If you've never experienced the gift of the Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ is still very much real and alive today, and he's able to fill us with that gift today. All that we need to do is we need to make sure that we make a clean place for him to live. So before we open this altar, I'll do that in just a minute. I'll open this altar and have us come to the front just to pray together. But before I do that, I just wish we'd take a moment right where we're at and we just repent. I'll pray my own prayer. If you don't know what to say, you can, by all means, you can listen to me. You can say the th same things. But that unknown God, that something else, that something deeper, that something bigger, it is bigger. It is more powerful. And it's not going to cohabit with sin. If I've got sin in my heart and sin in my life, I can't be full of the Spirit of God because those two things don't exist together. Lord God, I thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.